Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, I'm Dan Miller. So much news on the federal and state level affecting farmers over the last few days. Some deal-making in Washington, D.C. got the Fiscal Responsibility Act to suspend the nation's borrowing limit until early 2025. North Carolina Farm Bureau filed a petition with the U.S. Supreme Court over the North Carolina ag-gag law. Justice, or just as, the Supreme Court helped to clear up what is a navigable water. The North Carolina State Senate budget has a few new dollars for ag in it. Diesel prices are down, fertilizer prices up. I'll give you details on those headlines, and my co-host Jeff Turner will add some perspective. Jeff Turner is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and decades-long member of the North Carolina Board of Agriculture. Agriculture in North Carolina is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, got to be NC. June is National Milk Month, so we salute North Carolina's dairy farmers. Let me present some utterly amazing dairy facts. It takes a gallon of milk to make a pound of cheese, almost two gallons to make a gallon of ice cream. 95% of U.S. dairy farmers are family-owned and operated. The average farm has 337 cows producing milk, and it takes just 48 hours to get from the cow to the grocery store shelf. North Carolina is not a major milk producer. With only 145 dairy operations, we rank right in the middle. State number 25 out of the 50 in the United States. The majority of dairy farms in our state are in Ardell, Randolph, Gaston, and Alexander counties. Thanks to North Carolina dairy farmers and to each of their cows for yielding 2,538 gallons of milk a year. Just a moment, we'll catch up with Jeff Turner on Ag and NC. You're listening to Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller, and we'll catch up with my host, Jeff Turner, from the Duplin County Studios in just a moment. Thanks in part to Syngenta, a leading agricultural company helping to improve global food security by enabling farmers to make better use of available resources. The future lies in precision agriculture. Create your plan with help from Syngenta. How goes it, Mr. Turner? Hey, Dan, I'm doing well. I hope you're doing good. I am. I am. Been a long time since I talked to you. That Memorial Day, did you do anything good on the holiday weekend? <laughs> I stayed inside and tried to stay warm and dry. It was. A, it was. I guess it's part of that global warming thing. It was the right. coldest. It was the coldest Memorial Day I think I've ever spent. The last couple of years, I've said, you know, we've gone from winter to summer with very little spring. This year seems to be an exception for that. It's coming though. It'll be going to be warm. A number of things have happened over the last week or so, in fact. The House easily passed a bipartisan Fiscal Responsibility Act 314 to 117, Mm -hmm. signed off uh, by the Senate and signed off by the President as well, averting a debt crisis and default of the U.S. government. All the folks on the extreme left and all the folks on the extreme right didn't support it. Right. Pretty much down the middle. For the most part, with a couple of votes in the House, it would make it through. Anyway, it was really more of a test about McCarthy's ability to rally the troops. And once he made a deal with the president, that seemed like a foregone conclusion. It did not, in the House, end up with uh, a greater number of Republicans and Democrats. 149 Republicans supported 163 Democrats. So it wasn't a great affirmation of his leadership. No, I wouldn't want was- that job, Jeff. It's like herding cats. I think it's a, a, a chore, and and especially if you're trying to work with majorities, which he has a very slim majority, as you well know. It's about to get slimmer. I think someone from Utah, a congressman there, is resigning. 
So there'll, there'll be a while that there'll be one seat down gives him four. I, I don't know. It, it's a tough job. It's like everything else in DC. I'm afraid there's a lot of hocus pocus in the bill that makes it look better than it actually is in the end. So I, I do know that there's quite a bit of consternation right here in the state among the delegation about the bill. We'll call it law at this point. You get a chance to fight another day. Let's put together a real budget and appropriations bill that does fiscally what needs to be done. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think they've put forth a budget or an appropriations bill supported by a budget in years. Uh, and that's not the way you run the railroad. No, if I spent more than I had on my checking account, I wouldn't last very long. Nope, nope. The debt ceiling thing is a hoax. Put it off, put it off, put it off till you got to do something, and then you do something that's, that may not be good or not be in the best interest. Well, let me let's let, let me say this: the year is nearly half past, but I believe this could be my favorite headline of the year: SCOTUS rules on WOTUS. Yeah. <laughs> The Supreme Court came down with the Waters of the U.S. decision in the Sackett versus Environmental Protection Agency case. And here's the quick, quick thumbnail. Michael and Chantel Sackett purchased some property near Priest Lake, Idaho, began backfilling the lot with dirt to prepare for building a home. Nothing strange there. EPA stepped in, told the Sacketts their house contained wetlands or the lot they were going to build on, and their backfilling violated the Clean Water Act. The EPA ordered the Sacketts to restore the property and threatened penalties of about 40 k a day. EPA classified the wetlands on Sackett's lot as waters of the U.S. because they were near a ditch that fed a creek that fed Priest Lake. The intermediate courts upheld the EPA's decision until we made it Supreme Court. Not the amazing thing, but the wondrous thing is Supreme Court was unanimous in this particular case, saying the EPA overreached. Imagine that. And then let's talk about the politics. Uh, it was all those... MAGA folks, those MAGA judges who <laughs> not, not <laughs> even, but that's the way it was portrayed. And it's, I mean, it was 100%. It was every, it was totally overreach and both the, the, the conservative and the more liberal leaning justices said so. Yeah. And, and, but you know, we got to paint it politics is politics. Well, it was no politics. It was all. I mean, it was, again, it was a situation where you had both sides of the aisle looking at it saying, oh, this isn't right. And thank God, uh, they, they've ruled that way and they've thrown it back. And, and hopefully we can continue to operate under what was the present day situation before this administration came into office. I want to read a little of Justice Alito's opinion for the court. The case concerns a nagging question about the outer reaches of the Clean Water Act, the CWA. The principal federal law regulating water pollution in the United States. By all accounts, the act has been a great success. There is, however, an unfortunate footnote to this success story. The outer boundaries of the act's geographical reach have been uncertain from the start. The act applies to waters of the United States. But what does that phrase mean? Does the term encompass any backyard that has a soggy enough area for a minimum period of time? Does it reach ditches, swimming pools, or puddles? Alito refers to a prior case and writes, the use of waters, plural, encompasses only those relative permanent standing or continuously flowing bodies of water that form streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes. 
Writing for the court, he says, in sum, that CWA extends only to those wetlands that are, as practical a matter, indistinguishable from waters of the United States. So this adds some clarification. And I know former North Carolinian and EPA Secretary Regan has made note that if they don't make policy, the courts are going to dictate what the policy is, in this particular case, favorably so. That's a good fallback position because that's Michael's position on about everything that that, that gets imposed. There's a law put in place or regulations put in place, and you bring a suit and you settle, and you never reach any conclusions. You never get anything on the books of saying this is settled law because there was a ruling in a court. It never makes it to court. We decide in the back room how we're going to fix this amongst ourselves between the, the challenger and the person being challenged, and, and we never get any real law. And and that's not good. I mean, that's just – we can go back and look, we can look at Atrex or Atrazine. There's any number of things that are out there. We just decide that we, you know, we're going to settle it and, and deal with it that way rather than let's go to court and let's let a judge and a jury decide. And And I don't think that's the right way to do things. A judge and a jury who are not well-schooled in the particular uh, subject matter in which they're ruling. That's true. More ag news in just a moment, but first you're listening to Agriculture in North Carolina on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna today at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. This is Agriculture in North Carolina on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller along with my co-host Jeff Turner. Before the break, chatting about the Supreme Court decision on WOTUS, the waters of the U.S. Well, another case potentially for the Supreme Court. It's over the North Carolina state ag-gag law. North Carolina Farm Bureau filed a petition to continue the battle that started back in 2015. Eight years ago, the state passed the Property Protection Act. But in 2017, a federal judge said it violated free speech, the Constitution. Last year, the Supreme Court declined to hear a case, similar case, from the state of Kansas farmers. By the way, this ag-gag thing is sort of folks who enter, for instance, like a slaughterhouse and video footage under false pretenses. Or my farm. Right. You go on my farm, and by the way, if I go on my farm, I can't take a camera inside my own farm because of biosecurity purposes. I don't want to make the animal sick, hmm. but an activist can get access to my farm with their camera and take pictures, but I can't. We're not willing to because of the danger involved. The danger involved. Right. So if it's really about the protection of the animal, why would you circumvent the very rule of, of biosecurity to prevent bringing harm to the animals. Kind of odd, isn't it? It's not about the animals. It, it's it's about veganism. Some good news. And you actually, this is something uh, we had talked about before, and you, you'd made reference to the fact diesel prices were down, but not to pre-pandemic levels. So we've got there. I drove by, this is highway diesel. I drove by a gas station and diesel for the first time, and golly, I can't remember, was lower than gasoline. Uh, in Pitt County, actually, diesel right now, 319 we were told by Patrick DeHaan of Gas Buddy that there was additional diesel refining capacity come online that would uh, affect things about four or five months ago. And I think he was pretty much on the market there. Uh, he actually, in an email, noted yesterday that we could see things tick up a little bit 
Record air travel this summer could affect gasoline prices, petroleum prices as a whole. The inflationary piece that we're, that we've been dealing with, a lot of that was transportation costs that was totally related to fuel costs. Uh, ho- hopefully this will, this will help lower prices on some things, some of the inputs that we deal with, whether you're a farmer or whatever you, you do. As you've said in the past, fertilizer is dependent a lot on petroleum prices and uh, fertilizer right. costs and about Five of the tracked eight fertilizers have ticked up a little bit in the last 30 days, but maybe fuel prices taking a dive will help out. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed. North Carolina budget right now yep. passed by the House, Senate, two different versions, and conference committee likely to be there for a few more weeks. But we did get a look in the last couple of weeks of what's in the Senate version. We had noted some of the things in the House version. House and Senate both have money for that large animal health care Enhancement Act, which would be go to sponsor in uh, large-scale veterinary services. So that's a thumbs up. Uh, money goes in ten million dollars of non-recurring funds go in the Soil and Water Foundation Animal Waste Fertilizer Cost Share Fund grants to support the development of fertilizer production activities on farms using liquid waste management systems. I think, and again, I haven't seen the rules that will be written around the use of this money that goes to the foundation, but farmers. With liquid waste management systems have uh, an accumulation of sludge that occurs in in their treatment system in the lagoon itself, and in some cases you can deal with that sludge on the farm if you've got enough farmland. But if you could figure out how to dry it down to a solid that could be bagged or could be transported in bulk. Uh, there's some value in the sludge. I'm told that it's worth 200 plus dollars per ton, dry ton, value of nutrients in the sludge material once it's been dried down. And again, I haven't seen the rules on this, and I'm certain that they're yet to be written, but I think this would be cost share dollars for an individual grower or farmer to build what's equivalent to a greenhouse that could be used to dry this sludge. It, it would be an opportunity to have it in a covered area and you would have the ability to dry the sludge down. Because when it comes out, I mean, it's 75, 80% liquid. So, you know, you, you dry it down, uh, on the farm and then it would be available to sell to whoever for, uh, organic fertilizer. I need to understand more than I know at the moment, but I think it's probably a good thing. A proposal by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture Consumer Services, $8.5 million awarded by the United States Department of Agriculture. This is for conservation easements on farms in the Piedmont and Sandhills area of North Carolina, and that would help with the potential runoff downstream. I'm looking at the swath of counties, and this is really not Wake County, but it's sort of like a the letter J around Wake County. Uh, and my assumption is this is really more about the Cape Fear River Basin, and it's in your neck of the woods, almost to Sampson County. Basically, when you have a flood event or the potential for a flood event, if you could store that water on farmland, in other words, let it back up on that land and let it be managed in such a way that it didn't flood you downstream, you got to pay someone to use their farmland. I've actually traveled north of New Orleans. Obviously, they got a lot of levee systems and that sort of thing, but they, in fact, 
uh, have easements on farmers' property to allow them to store that water if need be in order to manage the water levels to to at least slow or prevent flooding or slow flooding or minimize the flooding. There's also uh, $15 million in there, non-reoccurring for farmland preservation. More and more land is being taken up for development. And the Department of Agriculture has a program where you can put an easement, allow them to come in and put an easement on the property. And basically what they do is they pay you some value for what you're giving up from a development standpoint. So if you've got farmland that's worth, you know, $4,000 an acre, but it's worth $10,000 an acre for development purposes, they will actually help you put a program together where you put an easement on your property so that it's never developed into perpetuity. And they pay you a certain amount of money. It, it, means it goes through a, a process of calculation and appraisals and that sort of thing. You get a gift credit on your tax return, or if, you, if you're making any money, you can use the tax credit. But you also get you also get a payment for putting that easement in exchange for saying that this land will always be preserved for farmland. Yeah, you know, it's a good program, and it's been utilized across the state in a lot of ways. I think this is a it's a good way, especially where where there's so much development taking place. You know, you got folks who own the farm, but you, at the same time they they look at the they, they look at the value of their farm as a farm, and they look at the value of it as a development. And obviously, there's a trade-off. We've been talking to Commissioner Troxler for years. You. Decades, and uh, he keeps knocking at the $100 billion worth of economic impact by North Carolina state farming. And we have just rolled over that. Latest state figures are $103.2 billion worth of impact. Finally made it. We finally made it, and it's a great thing. Again, it's the, it's the largest industry in our state. A huge deal to, to break the $100 million. Dang, Mr. Turner, we have covered a lot of ground. Sounds good. Take care, Dan. You as well. Have a good week. Coming up in just a moment, firefighters and farmers. They've got something in common. Meantime, though, let me tell you about Bill Carone Cars and Wallace. They're the only GMC Chevy dealer in eastern North Carolina to be an AgPAC dealer. That means that any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on products they may already use. Everything from tires to crop products. Check out the advantages of the AgPAC program. Find out more at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace. This is Agriculture in North Carolina. Find us online at agnnc.com. I read an article recently that farmers not only contribute to the economic well-being of their county, but they form a large portion of the staff at local volunteer fire departments. To find out if it was true in North Carolina... My name is Doug Bissett. I'm the Eastern Director for the North Carolina State Firefighters Association, and I'm the past president of the Eastern Carolina Firefighters Association. You are a full-time firefighter. Yes, sir. I'm a full-time firefighter in Wilson, North Carolina, one of the deputy chiefs. Over the last 50 years or so, things have changed in the volunteer ranks of firefighting. I remember when, in the town I lived in, probably 30% of all the uh 18 to 55-year-old men were involved somehow in the volunteer fire department. The jobs have changed and people have changed. The fire service in North Carolina really was built basically by the agricultural community that supported them in the smaller areas. Being from Pinetown Fire Department, you know, we 
are so indebted to the agricultural community because, uh, you know, just because you're not on our fire department in Pine Town and you're working there, you, we may get members from multiple other fire departments that work for the, the farm, the farmers that are around us. They may employ people from other uh, jurisdictions that come and help us. And then when we have our fundraisers, uh, you know, we make about forty-eight, fifty-three thousand dollars a year in tax money uh, from Beaufort County. But we're our fundraisers are so successful. Our, our two barbecue fundraisers are so successful each year that we, we might make half of that back in one fundraiser just if we have a really good year. And and that's really because of the agricultural community and the farmers that are around us and support us. They want to see us succeed, and you know that's evident in our area. In a lot of areas, you see that these these farmers and uh, these people that have these agricultural jobs are, are huge supporters of the fire service in not just eastern North Carolina but across the state. You know, I've been to a couple of the farm shows at the fairgrounds, and you see a lot of people with their fire pager on, you know, they're in Raleigh, they got a pager on, they might be from Duplin County, and the pager goes off, they ain't going to go off in Raleigh, but they got it on just in case of the way back, they, they're ready to go to a call. Uh, and then when you see the fire show in Raleigh each year, in August, you see a lot of people that are there with John Deere stuff on, or such and such farm, uh, and, and it's pretty interesting to see that you see the same people at both places, because uh, they're supporting each other. Um, you know, the agriculture community has done a lot for the fire service in North Carolina and has just continued to be there to support us, to support the fire service, you know, and, and just keep moving forward like that. In my observation, I've found that a number of firefighters are generational. So for a dad or... Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there are several, you know, members of the department, uh, especially like in Pine Town, The father is a, a member and the sons are and, you know, most places are generational, just like you said. Doug Bissett of the Eastern North Carolina Firefighters Association. When you're out and about, pick up a copy of the Farmer's Connection. You can find it online at FarmersConnection.com, but I like the old newsprint copy in my hand. It's chock full of bargain equipment as well as inventory at local dealers. Pick up a copy today at Agri-Supply, Acock Tractor, The Tractor Place, Nash Equipment Company, Flowers Timber, Caps Trailer, Mayor Equipment Company, Modern Track, or Mark Chesson and Sons in Williamston. The Farmer's Connection, a tradition in eastern North Carolina. Let's take a look at the way commodity prices ended up last week. Expiring June live cattle futures rose to 176.42 and a half Friday, while most active August settled at 172.90, up $7.725.5 on the week. August feeders rose to 241.90, which represented a weekly advance of $7.97. August lean hog futures rose to 82.30 for the week and gained $8.25. Friday's technically bullish weekly high close provides another clue that lean hog future prices have put in a seasonal bottom and have more upside potential in the near term. North Carolina's egg prices were higher on extra large and large, steady on the balance when compared to the prior week. The weighted average price quoted Thursday, June the 1st, for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs was 138.52 for extra large, 125.64 for large, 114.11 for medium, and $84 for small eggs. Number two yellow shell corn was mixed, 25 cents lower to 38 cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly 565 to 694 at the feed mills. 
677 to 689 at the elevators through Thursday, June the 1st. Number two yellow soybeans were 1 to 26 cents lower, range 1376 to 1419 at the processors, mostly 1306 to 1360 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was mixed as well, 13 cents lower to 80 cents higher, range 516 to 652 at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants ranged $442.60 to $452.20 per ton for 46.5 to 48% protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery, corn range 542 to 620, soybeans were 1106 to 1185, and wheat range 521 to 689. That's this week's Agriculture in North Carolina. If you miss a show, play the podcast. Find it at Apple or Spotify Podcasts. And find links to our sponsors at our website, agnnc.com. Ag Carolina Farm Credit. First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina. Copyright 2023. Interbanks Media. Tell your suppliers to support the show by calling Hank Hinton at 252-355-1037. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, have a great week.